Welcome to the Peterson's Bow Hunting Podcast. All bow hunting, all the time. Now, here are your hosts, editor Christian Berg and associate editor Mark Demko. All right, welcome back to the Bow Hunting Podcast. We are all bow hunting all the time, and I'm here uh, with associate editor Mark Demko. And now this has got to be one of our most anticipated shows of the year, Mark, because we've got our all-star uh, lineup of guests, and we're going to talk the best days to chase whitetails this fall and winter. Absolutely super exciting. You know, we have 100 years of bow hunting collectively on this podcast when we do our annual forecast and we have our experts like eddie and bill who have been uh, writing and working with us for literally decades so it's it's just a wealth of knowledge and i actually learn something every single time we do this yeah absolutely so uh, we've got field editors uh, bill winky and eddie claypool here on the call gentlemen uh always appreciate you guys making time for us yeah looking forward to it christian Thanks, Thanks, bill Yes, thanks. You got it. And uh, I want to dive right in. But before we do that, we got to pay the bills. And so I want to remind everybody uh, that the Bow Hunting Podcast is brought to you by Lancaster Archery Supply. For all your bow hunting needs, visit LancasterArchery.com. They've got the gear. They've got the knowledge. They've got the passion. And with that, I want to kick it over to you, Mr. Demko, just to set the stage. Why don't you talk a little bit about this annual whitetail forecast? Because this is something that you kind of came up with uh, when you joined us a few years back. And it's really been probably one of our best uh, pieces that we do each year in a great project where you enlist the help of Bill and Eddie and, and others to really share a lot of good uh, whitetail wisdom with folks as they make their plans for the season. Well, thank you so much for the kind words there. And yeah, it started with a conversation you and I are having about our favorite football teams. We won't mention either of them in this podcast because neither of them are this that good this year. But, you know, everybody gets excited when the NFL season is about to kick off or they're looking at their teams and who they play. And, you know, you, you that's when you're at the peak as far as optimism. Now, it depends how your team finishes, where you'll be at the end of the year. But, you know, it's similar with, with deer season. Everybody gets really excited as the season's getting close and ramping up and they're checking their trail cams and food plots and things like that. So we we started to work with Data Sport to look at their fish and game forecaster. Um, they basically put together the original Salooner tables and they look at a, a whole bunch of different data. Uh, they factor in things like um, moon positioning, moon phase, um, length of daylight and all that stuff. And they try to come up with peak wildlife movement times uh, for every day of the year uh, throughout the year. So it's pretty cool what they did. They were the originators of this. Uh, they're in their 50th year this year, I believe. So they've been around five decades. But then more importantly, we have all of our experts come together and take a look at the data and then factor in their perspective, what they've seen hunting over the years and in their locations and things like that. So it really gives a great look um, at the deer season from the early season to the late season. But basically what we do then is we narrow that down to the top five or six days a year where we're saying those are the days you really want to try and be in the woods if you can. And we have early season, rut, late season. You know, some of them are days you would think and others might surprise you. Yeah, absolutely. And we're going to, so we're going to talk about some specific dates and periods for every phase of the season as we go through this. But I wanna also give one disclaimer and that'll lead into the first question that I have and it'll be for Bill. One thing that they can't do when they put this forecast together every year, Mark, is know what the weather is going to be on any of these dates. So yes, there are a lot of factors that you can predict in advance and certainly the amount of daylight uh, moon phases, moon position, all those things are true, but weather is going to trump an awful lot. And so I want to start right now because today we're recording this. It's the 3rd of October. This will drop on the 10th. So even at the 10th of October, we're typically still a couple weeks away from when we would think of it really getting good. But this year, 
in at least the eastern half of the country, and I'm going to throw this to Bill, we've had some really warm, unseasonably warm, late September and early October weather. And we've got a big cold front moving across the country. I know you mentioned to me yesterday, you're going to start doing some hunting, maybe a little earlier than you normally plan on it. And I'm thinking the same thing for next week here in Pennsylvania, where it's going to drop from the 80s this week to highs in the mid 50s and lows in the low 40s, I have to think that there might be an opportunity there to catch some bucks moving that wouldn't normally be moving during that time. Yeah, I think so too. I think the it's still a really challenging time of the year, um, no matter how you slice it. If this cold front came two or three weeks later, uh, we'd all be doing handsprings and you know calling the taxidermist because that would be a really a big event. Uh, these early October cold fronts are really competing with the October lull from the standpoint of just seeing those, you know, those daylight activity. And you mentioned that Clint had a a buck on a daylight pattern. Well, I did. Uh, I had a few really, you know, nice target deer to go after until about two weeks ago and uh, just got in from checking my cameras. Now I'm still sitting on my four-wheeler and there, that is all gone away. Uh, you know, it's it's uh, all nighttime activity or not at all. I mean, I'm, some of these bucks, they're not even showing up. So, you know, you don't have a lot of, uh, let's say, positive thoughts, even with a cold front coming. But if it's going to if it's going to change, you know, if it's going to go back to some kind of daylight movement, it's going to be on the cold front. Um, I still think it's low odds, you know, unfortunately, but, you know, it, it's more than zero. Um, so it, it's definitely worth hunting because, you know, you got to celebrate October. It's an awesome month. You know, we can't just sit around, you know, waiting for the perfect days. Um, there aren't enough of those, you know, we need to be outside as much as we can. So, you know, the question really isn't, you know, should you go? The question really might be how much pressure do you put on, um, during this time, you know, e even with cold fronts. So I'll kind of leave it hanging there and you can take it where you want to go with it. Well, I just want to jump it over to Eddie to get him involved too, because for most of your life, Eddie, you really hunted almost exclusively on public ground. And, you know, Bill raises a good point. If you have, um, you know, a property of your own, or maybe a, a farm or two, like I do, where I have permission to hunt, maybe I can save some spots and try and apply pressure more slowly. You know, Bill has written a lot over the years of hunting the fringes and working into the, more of the core areas as the season peaks. Um, is that what you do? Or do you have a bit of a different mindset, Eddie, because, you know, you're hunting a lot of properties where you don't necessarily have any control over who's hunting or how they're hunting? Yeah, what Bill mentioned, so-called October lull has been a nemesis of mine for 40 years. I figured out way back there that them big bucks, the mature ones, they go into kind of a survival um, nocturnal mode by early October usually. There's always an exception, but that's the general rule. And it, I could count on one hand the number of mature bucks I've been able to harvest in early October. Um, I don't hunt them too hard. And like he said, I, I don't get too excited about this excellent weather change. I think that's for people that, you know, don't have as much hunting time. It's like you, Bill, and I, we can pick and choose pretty easy. People that are working stiffs, you know, and just get to hunt a little, they should be excited about this cold front and get out there and, and do what they can do. Uh, just don't wear your, don't wear a spot out. Don't, don't educate and dislocate your your does, you know, just go hit your good spots, get out of them and leave them alone and save them for later. But yeah, public land, the only good thing I can say about it over the years was I didn't have much competition in early season. That's one good thing about the traveling public. They don't seem to, you know, come until uh, rut. So if you're a public land hunter and you're willing to, you know, get outside the box and do some, you know, sneaking around and kind of hunt hunting and exploring at the same time get out there right now and take advantage of some of these fronts and 
scout some new country in Easter there. You'll have it to yourself. Usually there's not a big influx of people this time of year. Yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't thought about that. Mark, why don't why don't we move ahead, right? Because this is what people really want to know is these big dates or these time frames that we're focusing on. And as we head, you know, another couple of weeks down the road, we're going to get to that point, you know, and I think most deer hunters look toward late October, you know, Halloween week, whatever you want to call it. But what have we got for our first key date in this year's forecast? You know, when you're when you're looking at the, the end of October time when guys really start to, to gear up and get excited, our pick this year is October 27th. Uh, but there's some good activity movement, uh, the 26th through the 29th. It just happens that the, the moon positioning and things work out pretty well there. But but really, I mean, if you get a good cold front, as Bill touched on very early on, that could be a great time to hunt. But uh, that pre-rut and to the end of October as you're moving towards Halloween often can be an outstanding week. Well, and a couple things related to that that I want the guys to comment on. First one, uh, I'm going to throw to Bill, and and this is something that Clint and I talk about a lot, and he's a big believer in, is, you know, things get really unpredictable when the peak of the rut kind of comes, Bill. And you you actually wrote a feature about that just recently for the magazine. But Clint's a big believer, and I know you are too, and maybe even have become more so in recent years that maybe just before that is a better time than even the peak of the rut to tag a, a particular buck that maybe you've had on camera you know summertime leading into the fall before it gets almost impossible to catch up with them you know when the frenzy is really going yeah that that's for sure uh what i've seen and i'm sure it was always like that we just never quite understood you know, what we were dealing with until we had more opportunity to get the trail cameras out and, and learn from the photos. I mean, I I think trail cameras have made a lot of people into deer biologists, practically, you know, because of how much information we gain and what we learn about behavior. And you start connecting the dots and you see trends that you wouldn't have seen, you know, 15 years ago. Uh, so I think that uh, that last week of October, and like Mark said, if you catch a cold front, uh, that can be really, really good. In fact, uh, I would have to say maybe my new favorite day of the year is uh, October 29th. You know, I used to always say November 7th, and it's always good. There's a lot of really nice bucks that get killed, you know, around the 7th, plus or minus a couple of days. But that's more just, uh, I won't say random movement, but it's not like you're hunting your specific buck that you're going after. You know, you're, you're more likely to have a lot of deer, a lot of bucks on their feet. Whereas if you're trying to kill that one that you've been, like you said, you've been keeping your eye on, um, your best chance probably is going to be that tail end of October. Yeah. And the other thing that I kind of wanted to talk about in this period, and, you know, I'd, I'd be interested in your thoughts, Eddie. I always feel like, you know, here in Pennsylvania, I've seen some of the best hunts that I've enjoyed over the years have taken place during that last week of October. And I seem like I see, you know, a lot more chasing then than I do even into November. And I almost wonder if, you know, again, sometimes that period when we talk about the rut, it, it, it's a very broad term, you know, and people it probably means different things to different people, but it's when the bucks are most eager is maybe arguably that last week of October. And then as the does start to come in to estrus, you know, you'll always have some bucks tied up with some does doing breeding at any point. And then, of course, you get to the lockdown after that. And I don't want to jump too far ahead. But what's your thought on that, Eddie, in terms of, you know, getting the taking advantage of that peak frustration, I guess, amongst bucks, if you will? Yeah, no doubt about it. I had to learn that the hard way, too, because I used to just be uh, focused and lived on the helter-skelter time of the rut from about November the 5th or 7th through about the 25th. I just wanted to, you know, take a crapshoot and hope a giant would come by that I never even knew about. And it worked. That is the best time, uh, if you're especially public land. I mean, you got to get a lot of freak show going on to get those big ones to stumble by you. But if you've got your own place or a focal place, 
a family farm or somewhere that you're going to spend your time and you're a little bit more flexible, there's no doubt in my mind, I've learned that if you want to kill, learn about a particular mature buck or two and try to hunt them, then the last week of October into the first few days of November is the time to get it done because they're still pretty homebody-ish, but they're moving around, they're doing their thing, and you better you better get your week scheduled right then uh, because if you wait till the second week of November on, then's when you better pack a lunch and stay all day out in a you know a strange you know place because and just hope for uh, a big one to stumble by. One more thing on this sort of uh, pre-rut period, if you will, this this immediately preceding, you know, the breeding is, I guess we'd be kind of remiss if we didn't talk at all about scrapes and what role they play, if any. You know, this year I've got um, I got a buck stick. I don't know if you guys know what the buck stick is. There's other hodag licking stick. I got this buck stick and it's just like flexible fiberglass rod and it's got rope on part of it. It's got some little leaves on the end. And I'm actually really looking forward to getting this out uh, here, you know, in the next say 10 days or so and seeing what kind of footage I get on that, because it, I've seen some pretty incredible stuff online and that's, that can be, you know, related, you can put it on an existing scrape or, or make your own, but you know, what, what do you guys do as far as scrapes and what role do they play in, in your hunting? I guess I'll throw it to Bill first and then Bill, uh, Eddie, you can chime in if you have some thoughts. Okay. You know, I, I think, um, you know, I think that it's deer sign has become less and less of a factor for me as time has gone on. Um, and, and I think early on, I thought that I could pattern deer based on sign. And I thought, well, this scrape belongs to this buck or these tracks are, you know. And then with the advent of the trail cameras and the more we learn, uh, the less of a role I feel like the sign plays in in uh, my strategy but i do think in that late part of october the scrapes tell you the trails that the bucks are using i don't think they're coming to those scrapes in my mind i don't think they're like okay i've got this scrape i need to go check it i think it just appears along the routes that those bucks are using so if you find a scrape line uh in the timber is better than on the field edge then uh, i think that just reveals to you a trail that a, a buck is using pretty actively um, and I think that's a good sign. I mean, I think that will, you know, that will convert itself into buck sightings, you know, whether you can say, well, this is the scrape that my buck made or whatever, you know, that's where the, where you get to stretch in it just a little bit. But I, I do think they play a role. I just don't, I don't pay any real attention to it. Um, usually I have a different way of, of figuring out where to hunt the deer that I'm after than looking at the sign. Um, kind of weird because I'm, I don't even know what I do. Um. Uh, I'd have to think about it a little bit, but I know I don't think about sign. Yeah. And I don't know that I would ever sit, you know, just on a particular scrape, but I am curious as to how, like, if you have a small food plot, you're a big fan of those, Bill. And yeah. I, it seems, it seems, unless I'm getting sold a bill of goods, I'll find out for myself this year that people have had pretty good success in putting these like, um, they're basically like toys for bucks, right? I mean, it's a, it's a, it's something that they can use to, yeah, sort leave scent, communicate. But I think it, there, there's also a bit of pleasure that comes from it from these bucks because they just like working on these things. And so maybe you can get, not that you're pulling a deer maybe there because of it, but all the deer that do come there, yeah. maybe maybe you can get them to go to that corner that's, that's in it. bow range because you have that thing there. That's it. That's the key to that to that tool. I feel. I don't think it's about bringing them to that area. I think it's about concentrating them where you can get a good shot. Gotcha. Eddie, any thoughts on that? Pretty well sums it up. I'm not a big, I used to live and die by sign. I mean, big rubs, big scrapes, they raised my blood pressure and I hunted them religiously and I kill lots of nice bucks. They don't mean much to a big buck, a really old buck. He He's a vapor and he does what he wants um like bill said you know they're good they're good clues but you got to look at the big picture you got it like when he, bill said i don't really know what i do that really hit home with me it's hard to explain it but you almost get to where you just hunt by feel you look at the whole picture 
everything from trail camera data to scouting to past and you put it all together in your head and then I try to combine it with the topography and the vegetation changes because that's what dictate where these deer move you know they they use the topography and uh, vegetation you know edges and stuff and and then you just you look at that sign and you put it all together and at the end of the day go hunt by feel get where you feel is the best spot out of all of that out of your choices pick pick a few wins pick a few spots hunt them smart and then you'll you'll your success rate will be reflective yeah and i think you know i, I think on a you have to almost play hunches a little bit um especially as it relates to where they bed or maybe which doe groups they might be pursuing and you're not really hunting uh, a, a micro strategy you're hunting a macro strategy like a big picture like eddie said and um and, and i think a little bit of its instinct you know you just have an instinct for it after you've done it long enough it's kind of hard to teach instinct but you know maybe we can give you the tools to at least you know start thinking that you know i've got these locations where the buck has been showing up this makes sense i know how deer move through terrain like eddie said um, let's just play a few hunches and then the hunches either work or they don't. And when they don't, you learn something and you move on. Um, that's, that's really how you gain the instinct, you know, over the long run is, is just a series of failed hunches. <laughs> yeah. The accruement of wood savvy, that's all there is to it. It, there's not a shortcut. There ain't a pill. If a guy could invent a pill to give you instant whitetail wood savvy, he'd be a, billionaire overnight you know or, or, or even an article theme where we could teach it right <laughs> yeah we try to come up with ways to convey it and when i get done i just feel like a fool because it's like man how can people read that crap i'm putting out and, and really get any smarter from it <laughs> oh come on so don't, now don't i'm buy, trying to sell the to... magazine what eddie's trying to say is do not buy the magazine i was gonna say i'm trying to sell magazines here eddie and you know i mean come on now uh um, hey. Mr. Hang on, we got to move on. We're moving on, Mr. Demko. It, it was nice working with you guys over the past couple of years. <laughs> Eddie, let's find another another outlet for our work. That crap in the magazines is good stuff. You just got to be smart enough to uh, sift did, through. You know, you got to find the yeah. diamond in the rough, Eddie. Well, you each, know what I mean? Each one is just a piece. Each one is a piece in the chain, right? There it's not the whole go. chain. It's a piece, all right. <laughs> well, Mark. <laughs> Why don't yeah. you why don't you reorient us towards our next uh, uh predictions, which we actually I think we've got two for the peak rut this year. Yeah, for the first time in the history of the forecast, we actually selected two days. You know, when you think of deer hunting, a lot of guys are really excited for that early November, that first half of November where the rut really kicks in. And um uh, we were looking at the data this year and you know. For me, I'll say um, I keep a log every year of my sightings, and I found at my house, which is I will I will also say not the most ideal deer habitat, but the fire days have historically been November fourth to the sixth. Bill has said before November seventh was always one of his prime days. Well, this year in those that time frame, the data looks terrible if you if you really look at uh, peak movement during the daylight. So we selected two days because you know we talked about it. it's really going to come down to hyper local conditions what the weather's like what the hunting pressure is like the deer <laughs> movement and activity where you live but on uh so the seventh doesn't look great this year but 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 historically has been one of the best days to be in the woods we also went with november 7th where it just looks like it's going to be an excellent day for an all-day sit excuse me november 12th yeah i was going to say the 12th and i and, and if i recall i think i can't remember for sure did i was it bill and i who commented on these days for the article Yes, it yeah. was the two of you. Yeah, some so great insight. So Bill, you know, went with the seventh just because, first of all, uh, and I'll let Bill, uh, basically, Bill, I'll just set it up for you. Um, you're not a huge believer in these uh, forecasts. You you rely much more on like, you know, you tell me whatever you want to tell me, but I know I kill big bucks on the seventh and I'm going to be out there, right? Well, it, it has to do with rut phases. Um you know, and that has to do with photo period, which is the amount of daylight, you know, the amount of hours of daylight. And uh, that's what dictates 
the hormone levels in the bucks and the does, and that's really what triggers the rut. There's been a lot of research and studies done on that. People have tried to say that the moon, you know, might suggest uh, rut dates and all these other things, but uh, the testing that that I've looked at, at least, uh, shows that it doesn't really change much from year to year. You know, the peak of breeding is on a certain date or, you know, a time frame that's based on the photo period. So you can always work backwards from that to say, you know, you don't want to be out there when the, the most number of does are in estrus. I mean, that works if you have a hot doe come past your tree, you know, but short of that, it's going to be pretty dead, you know, because the bucks are all going to have a doe. Uh, you want to be there ideally during that ramp up, you know, during the time when the bucks are excited, they're trying to find that first or second doe and they aren't that, you know, available. And then they're moving and cruising and looking. Uh, as soon as there's a whole bunch of does in estrus, which is what everybody thinks of as like the peak of the rut, that's the peak of breeding. Uh, it's kind of a dead time. So uh, that that's why I like the seventh, you know, year in and year out. It's about a week ahead of that peak of breeding. And uh, you got a fair number of does in estrus already, but the bucks are, you know, a lot of them are still looking. So it's kind of like the front end of the, of the real breeding, you know, leading up to that. I mean, we could have a lot of different conversations about this because, you know, every situation is a little bit different as it relates to the age of the deer and the, you know, all like, and Mark said, the, the you know, the local conditions, but um, year in and year out, that's number or uh, November seventh plus or minus a couple of days produces a lot of big bucks on the ground. Yeah, and and I mean you can't argue with the fact that the mean conception date isn't yeah. really isn't really no. changing. And, and you might spread you might spread that curve, right? You know, conditions might change it a little bit. Like maybe they start a little bit earlier for some reason or another. I don't know. Or maybe it you know trails a little bit, but that peak of the bell when the most number of does are in estrus, at least the research that I've looked at, that doesn't change, you know, except right. in the deep South, it's kind of funky in the deep South, but most parts of the country, that's very predictable. Yeah. And, and, and so, I mean, I think you definitely want to be out there during that period. And again, yeah. weather is going to, you know, if it's 80 degrees, you know, your, your hopes aren't going to be that high, but I still wouldn't stay home. No, um, I've seen yeah, I've seen big deer when it's 80 degrees out, um, you know, because it's the right time of the year. You know, you, you, mm -hmm. there was a fellow that worked for me once and he had a quote that I love. And he said, uh, you don't know if you don't go. Um, so you can't assume anything. Yeah. And, and I picked the 12th bill just because, like Mark had mentioned, you know, the sort of the the peripheral can factors, you know, line up much better. And I know in certain places, you know, like as somebody who hunts Kansas a lot, and Eddie, you've hunted Kansas way more than I have, but I've tried to make it kind of an annual thing for the past handful of years. And it always seems like the action in Kansas is a little bit later, you know, than it is here, say in Pennsylvania. And that mid-November time frame, you know, can be really good. And it just lines up better. Again, you know, I don't know what the weather is going to be like, but the moon rise and moon set. And this is something that John Dudley turned me on to years ago and I started paying attention to it. And I think there's something to it, you know, um, when, when your dawn and dusk periods have a rising or setting moon, you know, he always feels like he gets a better flurry of deer activity than you would otherwise. And of course, deer are crepuscular, which means they're always most active around dawn and dusk. But that rising and setting moon in tandem in that, and that's where that 12th kind of trumps the seventh this year. But but like Bill said, you know, <laughs> you, you won't know if you don't go be out there. But what do you think, Eddie, about about not just what I said about that, but even just geographic variations like over the years have you found kansas to be maybe a little different than ohio or oklahoma or or whatever no not really it seems like what bill said has been my findings that it occurs about the same time everywhere um i think that the, you know the biggest difference is as some years we think it's this classical peak mid-november you know this or early november that uh, because of the other factors like weather, um, maybe, you know, pressure. 
because it changes everything. I think that when it goes on, it's the same every year, pretty much. Uh, I'm not speaking for down way down south. I don't have, you know, any data on South Texas, you know, South Florida, whatever, wherever they live down there that they were at a different time. But plumb to the Canadian line, I found it to be about the same. And the only thing is that when it's really cool, really prime conditions, you see it when, when it's not, when it's hot and windy and different things, you don't see it because they do it at night. Right. That's in the rut to me, you know, I mean, some years we, oh my God, did you experience that rut and other years wow that was really a dead rut and to me it's just the difference between how much daylight versus nighttime activity and that's controlled by temperature and uh, the moon has some control over it and <laughs> hunting pressure has a lot of control over it yeah well good good stuff guys and i want to keep us moving we've got uh, we're kind of halfway home and we've got two more uh, days that we've kind of keyed in on mark the next one would be the secondary rut you know and and absolutely living here in pennsylvania i will say you know it, it's an interesting time of the year because our gun season has come in by then and it's near its end or close to its end but you also have that secondary rut and one of the tactics i i've used over the years uh is i've gone back to my archery only spots at that time of the year and i've had some good success and i'll be honest i've killed my biggest butt buck in pennsylvania i want to say it was around the 10th of december um so that can be a pretty good time if you have uh, unpressured deer that you can hunt well yeah and mark i know you've killed actually at least two or three deer during that time i think you even had a particular property where several years in a row you were having good success uh during that time which is not common here you know because again it comes back to pressure that eddie was just talking about pressure is a real problem for for us here in pennsylvania but but if you have like you say unpressured and certainly bill has witnessed this a lot over the years when those doe fawns maybe come in for the first time during that mid-december period can actually be some of the absolute best deer hunting of the year because you can have many mature bucks on a single doe right bill oh bill your your audio is bad there is it bad for you other guys yes try yes. again bill try again no it's still bad i'm gonna let i'm gonna let eddie uh talk on that hopefully it comes back i, I know you've seen this too though eddie sure i i have feathered my nest pretty well in that uh, December time frame. Even actually, I've seen some of the most incredible things plumb up until New Year's. I, I've I've had giant bucks around me in that last rut period. There, I've had them trying to breed yearling fawns that couldn't even held them up. That came in, they were you know fawns that had been born early and and evidently matured enough to come into heat. And I think that if you there's so many factors though. The pressure is the main thing because most people don't have a place that can hardly be worth hunting after the firearm season. Most places are just hammered, stomped out, and killed out. But if you've got a place that doesn't get that done to it, number one, it's an excellent time to get around your doe groups because there's going to be a doe or two come in then, and all your bucks will focus on her. I had one time I had seven bucks standing end to end in a train walking behind one doe, all seven of them walking behind her trying to get at her. And the one that had her wouldn't let the other six at her. I mean, you can have some great experiences in December if you got the right place to do it with. Uh, public land can get pretty devoid that time of year. It can be a tough, tough one. But they're still there if you're a public land guy, you know, after all the gun seasons are over, all the people are gone. My good friend Travis killed a really good buck last year in Kansas uh, in the last week of uh, December. So, you know, don't give up. Uh, it's, it's, it's tough. Get you, a, get you cold weather clothing and get with it. Eddie, how does your how does your approach strategy change? during December as opposed to, you know, early November, because, you know, the terrain is a lot different. Most of the cover is gone. And as you said, the deer are going to be a lot more spooky too. Right. So, you know, how do you try to deal with that as best as you can? What I focus totally on in December is food source because the deer will yard up um, 
I used to love to go out west in the high plains and hunt in December because if I could find me a wheat field, a winter wheat field that was remote and had thick cover around it, all the whitetails around would have migrated to that and beyond it in the cold weather. And of course, that pulls all those bucks in there. And uh, the rest of the country could be pretty devoid. I, I often scouted for days on end and didn't come up with much of anything. And then, boom, hit the right spot. And just cherry pick it if you can. You got to be real careful at time of year because it is very difficult. You're dealing with a spooky deer and difficult conditions. Um, so you got to really pick and choose your battles. And uh, one good hunt's worth, you know, five so so ones. But I focus on food sources because all them does will, you know, be on a food source. And uh, if you find a, a really good oak that's dropping acorns in the woods somewhere that time of year, you're going to find a bunch of does on it and just get on them does, stay back from them and uh, be be prepared to still have a set of antlers and a grunt call with you because those bucks are still rutting hard. Um, Talking about food, Eddie, that, that kind of mark brings us to the late season and our last, you know, prediction for this year. So I know we've got a day in January picked out and, why don't you kind of set that up and hopefully we'll give Bill another chance because I know he's a big proponent of food sources and late season hunting. So uh, hopefully his audio is good again here as you uh, lay this out for us, Mark. Yeah, and the interesting thing I think for, for our late season pick is some seasons, excuse me, some states have uh, seasons that end by like the end of December and others have states, uh, you know, the seasons that go into January. And like, for example, Ohio, even in early February, you can have some pretty good hunting. And our pick this year is uh, uh, Saturday, January 13th. And actually, I remember looking at the data, it had some of the best data and animal movement peaks of the whole entire year where it's like excellent to good and throughout, you know, most of the afternoon. And so we went with that considering, you know, you, you want to try and keep your pressure in the woods to a minimum. Uh, you want to concentrate on your hot food sources. It, it just seemed like that window of like January 12th to the 14th was really good, but we went with the 13th. Bill, what's your uh, late season advice? Do you have audio on me? Yeah. Yeah, you're you're good. Okay. Uh, it's really tough with the bow. I mean, in my experience, we occasionally kill them and we try really, really hard, even in areas that don't have a lot of hunting pressure. But uh, typically in the Midwest, you don't get that yarding effect that you know any sees out west. So you're going to find individual pockets of of you know, deer focused on food and they don't, even in areas that don't get hammered, the deer are a lot spookier during the late mm -hmm. season than they are prior. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't know what it is. Maybe the neighbors chased them around enough or whatever, but they're super hard to kill. And uh, a lot of times the smaller food sources are depleted, you know, so you're dealing with maybe a four acre field or the corner of a cornfield or something like that. Well, now you're basically trying to kill a, a a deer with a bow out of a gun stand, you know, and nothing's more frustrating than that. So uh, it's pretty rare that we do awesome during the late season. I mean, it, occasionally, maybe one out of every three or four years, you know, the pieces will work, but you get one crack. And if you don't get it done the first time, uh, they get really smart really fast. And the, the, the jig is basically up. If you, get aggressive, you make your move, you screw it up. Even if you don't screw it up, you walk out of there at the end of legal shooting time and you think that the coast coast is clear, but it, you know, it's not, you know, it's a, you gotta have a really, really good plan, I guess, in, in my experience to kill them with a bow during the late season. But well, this, this is a good opportunity. I think Bill, though, you, I think some of the success that you've had late season, or maybe most of the success, at least in the last decade I think ground blinds have played yeah. a, a much bigger role and we haven't talked about that at all, but I mean, ground blinds are getting more popular, you know, season long, but I probably particularly shine in the yeah. late season. Well, that's the key. And, and the ones that I use, um, you know, you can close everything up, close the windows, close the doors, and they don't let much scent out, you know, and I put them on trailers and I can move them around a little bit, you know, where, once the deer get used to it in a certain area, you say, well, they're coming out in that corner. You know, I, do I have to move a stand over there? You move a stand over there and something's going to be downwind of you before the evening's over. But you could put the blind, you know, just roll it over there a little bit closer. 
you know, and they don't notice that you just moved it 40 yards. Uh, they don't, once they get used to it in the field, they just don't seem to care that you've moved it. Uh, so, so that's been one way to hunt those bigger food sources, even the smaller ones. I mean, I, I can't even imagine now trying to kill a deer on a food source out of a tree with a bow. Uh, I know it can be done, but it's so hard. Um, cause there's always something downwind, you know, you blink and they see it. You know, you got something dripping off the end of your nose and you raise your finger up to wipe it off with your glove and they see it. You know, it's, they are so spooky. So the blind is definitely the way to go. Well, and then the other thing, of course, is having somebody drive in, which I know yeah. you probably, probably use it at different times of the season. But even in the late season, do you find that you can get away with, you know, hunting the same area multiple times if you use that tactic? Yeah, for sure. Big time. Uh, and, and, it's almost unlimited, you know, because especially in agriculture country where the deer are used to it, you'd think they would get educated, but I've done it like five, six nights in a row. And you think by the sixth night, they've got to be tired of somebody driving in there, but they still all come out at the very same time, you know, and they, they don't seem to care, um, you know, but, but whatever that person does that comes in, they need to make, you know, a, a really significant impact. They need to drive into the field and, and move the deer out. You know, we've tried it before where you stop the field edge, you know, and the deer kind of run off and you think the coast is clear. Well, all they did was clear the field. They're still right there where they can see you when you get out of the blind and, and sneak out. Um, so it, anyway, it's, it, that's definitely the way to go. Um, I haven't found a better way to do it. I've, I've tried all kinds of crazy stuff like flying a drone out the window, you know, and just anything you can think of to spook them so you can get out of there at the end of legal shooting time and, the only thing that works is somebody coming in. Yeah, it's definitely tough. And anybody who's tried to hunt, you know, field edges or fields has been experienced the same frustration. It's easy to get in because you yeah. get in there in the middle of the afternoon when there's nothing out, but it's almost impossible to get out. So that's right. And um, once they you know, know you're hunting them there, you're done. Well, Eddie, let's shift gears and talk about something else related to late season hunting that's really important, and you're kind of an authority on it, and that's suffering, physical <laughs> physical pain and suffering, because sometimes it's it's pretty darn cold there that time of the season. And, you know, it's funny, as we were doing the podcast today, I thought back to an article you wrote many years ago now, and I don't remember all the details, but you were along, you were on a hillside near some train tracks out west somewhere, I think Montana or North Dakota or you, I mean, you know, I see you nodding your head, but I believe if I recall correctly, it was bitter cold. And uh, I mean, you have to have some pretty big uh, buck dreams to, to be willing to suffer some of the conditions that you find out there. Yeah. You know, it takes all kinds to make the world spin. And I, I, I just come up through that probably crazy hardcore it wasn't ugly to me i liked it it was serious pain but i loved it uh, yeah i've been through the best of that um, and i'm not advising anybody to do that but if you are that guy if you've got that passion that bad and you can handle it you're going to reap some benefits over the years and you're going to learn a lot and uh, you're going to be very satisfied about things. You're also, like Bill said, going to be extremely frustrated. And you got to be careful because you can really get angry. Uh, the late season, those deer got everything going for them. And they're, they're vitally hard to kill. Uh, they're string jumpers. You know, they, they're almost supernatural in December into January. And so you got to be careful. But, yeah, I like uh, definitely toughing it out. I don't anymore. I've 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 went through menopause, <laughs> 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 waste, and that's okay. I get to enjoy it the way the other guys have all but, their life. But I, I but I but I wanted you to share some suffering stories though. Like tell us about some of like the absolute most miserable cold and pain that you ever had out there in the late season. Okay, I'll tell you real quick. That one you was talking about was in Wyoming, and I drove out there on the fifteenth of November in a. Uh, frigid front and come in for the next two weeks the warmest day or nighttime temperature in the next 14 days was 18 above zero in the middle of the day one day it was getting down to 20 to 25 below at night and the wind was blowing 20 to 30 miles an hour 
I actually sat in a tree stand with a weather channel 55 below wind chill. Uh, it was life and death stuff. I had ranchers drive out to me thinking I was dead because I'd been in the tree two hours. They figured I was dead. They came <laughs> and messed my hunting up. <laughs> but anyway, I from the 15th to the 31st or 30th of November, the last day that it was available and ended up killing about a 150 inch acorner, which was the best deer I'd seen the whole trip on the last day of season because I persevered and just learned and slowly moved in. I moved my tree stand four different times and finally got in on this deer. And the la it was one of the most satisfying hunts I've ever experienced. It wasn't the biggest buck I ever got, but one of the more satisfying ones. Well, I mean, that's pretty darn impressive, but I, I don't know how you did it. I mean, you just had a different tolerance for discomfort than most people. You know that, right? And, and it you know, it's weird because I don't know. I, 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 my, I was brain dead. I just didn't, pain didn't mean suffering. It meant I was on a macho man kick, I guess. I had way too much testosterone. Now, I wished I could get a little of that back right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mr. Demko, you've got all the testosterone now. <laughs> I was amazed just idiots. hearing that story. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. like hunting in minus 55, don't you? Yeah, I'll go out and I'll hunt till the end of January here in Pennsylvania. We have a longer season in this part of the state. And I've had some pretty good success, as you uh, mentioned earlier, and taking some bucks in the early to middle part of January. And one of the biggest bucks I've ever seen in the state of Pennsylvania, we can't compare it to Kansas and Iowa, was actually um, the day before the season ended. Like I want to say it was like January 25th or 26th here in Pennsylvania. Now, I didn't get it. He only came to about 60 yards, but uh, it, you can have some good hunting, but you have to be able to put up with the conditions and have that drive. And um, But if you have spots that you can fall back on where, as I said, unpressured deer, and it is rare, you can have success. It's, it's hard to get in. I only hunt in the evenings. Uh, morning hunts are, are, are pretty unproductive, but uh, you can have, if you hit the right day, you can have some luck. Yeah, or you can just get it dialed in like you have now, Mark, and you just hunt about twice a year and kill your buck right in your yard. Last Absolutely. two years, right? The, yep, between the 4th and the 6th of November, get it done. And after that, I just stand there. I think you mentioned the word, Eddie, uh, frustration or yeah. going insane. That's what yeah. it gets on my property. I only have four acres of woods. It gets really hard after those couple of days. Yeah, and he don't, and he doesn't even tell me. That's the thing that drives me nuts about Mark is like he'll go wait a week by, and then somehow it'll come up. He's like, "Oh yeah, I shot my buck," you know, in the yard the other day. Oh, you don't even tell anybody. Like he's he's the silent assassin over there. So, well, listen, guys. I mean, this is always one of the most fun conversations to have every year, if nothing else. You know, I think it gets me excited to get out there and, and hunt. Hopefully it gets everyone who listens. And I just want to give each one of you, Bill and Eddie, a chance to give your parting wisdom because, um, you know, we, we, we talked about a lot, but what's your, what's your take home message for this year, Bill? This is sort of your, your, your fatherly speech to the deer hunters out there for this year. Well, I think it's, it's going to be less about strategy and more about just enjoying it. You know, I mean, I think I spent a lot of time when I was younger worrying about, uh, you know, how big of a buck I might be able to kill and I don't want to screw this up and all these other things. Uh, I've scaled back now more about just, you know, relaxing and enjoying it. And uh, I think if you do that, every season is successful. You know, you, you have to measure it that way. And then if you kill something, that's awesome. But if you don't, that's awesome too. Because if the only measure of success is whether you kill and what it scores, uh, it ends up being a little bit hollow, you know. So that, that'd be my advice is, gosh, just celebrate every day. I mean, just enjoy it and uh, you'll learn, keep learning. And then someday you'll be just like Christian, have little headphones on your head, interviewing people, <laughs> being a big shot. I was just thinking that I was going to be awesome this year because I was like, you know, if you kill something like Mark, that's going to be awesome. But if you don't kill something like Christian, he's awesome, too. You know, I was yeah, like, I just awesome. got 
I just got affirmed by Bill Winky here on a nationally <laughs> distributed podcast. So it doesn't get any better than that. Now, Eddie, what about you, my man? For, for the guys that are still hardcore into it, like you were when you were 35, and then those of us who have gone through menopause, whether they did it a little bit at the normal time like you, or maybe a little early like Mark and I, how can we make the most of our deer season? I can't emphasize enough what Bill said. That's just pretty well sums it up. Uh, being frustrated and angry and trying harder doesn't make you any better, really. Go out there, somehow train your mind to have fun. You you actually hunt better when you're having fun. I, I did the worst when I would get really anal about stuff, you know, get frustrated and narrow between the eyes. Uh, I don't care if you're 25 or 55. Go out there, do it to satisfy yourself if that's hardcore then hunt it 40 below but the key is don't be anal about it enjoy it just kick back enjoy it because your days are winding down every year and the hunting ain't getting any better uh suck it up and have a good time and forget about the ego stroke that you're looking for because that will go away on its own one day anyway yeah, and if you get real anal, Eddie, it makes it harder to hunt with your wife and stuff like that. Right? <laughs> oh man, yeah, believe you me, I was the king of that stuff. I have, uh, I've run them off, male and female, and uh, almost had fist fights uh, in the blind. But uh, hey, you, you know, you just what you are at that time of life. You can be dumber than a pile of rocks, which I was, and hardcore. But it, it was my story, and so I guess I'm proud of it. I guess. Well, make a note, Mr. Demko. And with this, I'm going to hand it off to you to close us out. But make a mental note. We're getting Eddie and Peggy together on one <laughs> of these podcasts. And we're just going to let them do an hour of their greatest hunting stories of all time together. No, Our geez. Valentine valentine uh, episode this yes, year Yes, that's our valentine episode for 2024 tell peggy that we mm -hmm. want we want to set that up take us out mr demko well bill eddie thank you so much for joining us and for sharing all of your wisdom and knowledge from years that you've gathered while being in the woods you know i think the bottom line what i see here is you know enjoy yourself get out do your homework do your scouting um, if things work out one, wonderful, if not, just have a great time. Uh, the bottom line is you need to be out there to kill something and, uh, good luck to everybody who's listening to the bow hunting podcast and we'll see you next time. Thanks for downloading the Peterson's bow hunting podcast, all bow hunting all the time. Pick up the latest issue of Peterson's bow hunting magazine on your local newsstand or connect with us online at bowhuntingmag.com.